me in your Bibles to the Gospel according to John, chapter 15. We have been reading through the Gospel of John. Just a few weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. Seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? It hasn't been. It was just a few weeks ago. And uh, the last time we looked at the Gospel of John, we were reading a scripture that told the story of what happened how Jesus met the disciples on the evening of that first resurrection day. How they were very surprised to see him because they had thought he was dead. We saw how he told them, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And we saw that it wasn't like, okay, so now you're out on your own. But he said immediately following that, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus had been teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit just three days before on Thursday night. Just hours before he was arrested and before his trial, he had been telling them, I'm going away, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. My Spirit is going to come to you. You're not going to be left alone. I am going to be with you. You, And he called that spirit the comforter, the counselor, the advocate. We saw that through his death and resurrection that the kingdom of heaven was breaking into life on this earth. That things were never going to be the same again. That all who would trust in him will have a very changed life will be reconciled to God and will have the very presence and power of God at work in them and in their lives. So we want to continue to see and understand what he had to teach us about his spirit that he gives to everyone who will trust in him, who will be reconciled to God. So we're going to read... Uh, John chapter 15. We're going to read the whole chapter today. So keep your Bibles open. We're not going to do it all at once because, because we'd probably forget what we read at the start of it by the time we get to the end. So we're going to read a piece and then talk about it and read another piece and talk about it. So let us begin at the first verse. This is Jesus teaching his disciples on the night before he was crucified about his spirit and he said i am the true vine and my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful you are already clean because of the word i have spoken to you Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him... He will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So over and over, he says in these, just these few sentences we read, remain in me. And to help us understand what that means, he uses this picture of growing grapes. Now, we live in a part of the world where grapes are grown, a part of the world that is famous for the grapes that are produced. And so we have this translation here. Of course, it wasn't written in English. We have this translation. Now, Europeans, Europeans reading these words about growing grapes, they had certain ideas about what it was exactly that Jesus was was saying. And so this is translated this the way that we read it in almost all English translations of the Bible. But Palestinians, even today, Palestinians who read these verses and read them and know what it said in the original text, they say that's not the way that we see it at all. When you're reading these, it sounds like, well, God's got his pruning shears. And he is just ready to start whacking away. But that's not the picture that is here. At least not the picture that the Palestinians say. Uh, we've got some photographs from, from the Holy Land. Photographs of, of uh, vineyards. Here's, here's a modern vineyard. Today, uh, grapes are grown in the very same way they are around the Finger Lakes. And so their vineyards look, look just like ours do. But let's look at the next one. Back in the, in the Bible times, the good flatland was used for grain, the place where the soil was deep, where there weren't a lot of rocks. They didn't, they didn't waste that on grapevines because grapevines would grow lots of places. So they would grow them on the terraced hillsides. Now the hillsides, many of the hillsides in the Holy Land are just naturally terraced because of the way they have eroded. But the farmers have taken these terraces and have built walls out through the centuries. And so many of the hillsides are terraced. And it was on these terraces that they would grow both olives and they would grow grapes. They have wonderful soil for growing grapes. I have been told that what makes grapes wonderful is the dirt that it grows in. So that you can grow magnificent Best grapes in the world, perhaps on this side of East Henrietta. But if the dirt is different over across the street, though grapes will grow, they will not be of the same quality. Well, in Palestine, they have wonderful soil for, for growing grapes because it's, it's mo- their soil is very, very rocky and it's made out of decomposed limestone, which evidently grapes like. So... So the grapes are grown. Let's look at the next picture. And so the farmers, here, here are these terraces. So the farmers build these terraces and have built these terraces down the hillsides where grapes and olives mostly are grown. So Jesus is telling us some stuff here 
Let's think, try to think about this the way someone in the Holy Land saw these disciples who, who had lived there all of their lives, how they would have heard Jesus' words. He says, He is the vine. Now, he, he's making a distinction between the vine and the branches. So the part that goes down into the ground, the part with the roots on it, that is the part that he calls the vine. And as years go by, grapes can gr- live a long, long time. As years go by, it's not just some skinny little grapevine coming up out of the ground. It becomes a trunk, sometimes a rather significant trunk coming up out of the ground. And so he says, I'm that trunk. I'm that vine. I'm the one with the roots in the ground. I'm the one where all of the, the sustenance, the nourishment, the water, I'm the one where all that, that uh, comes from, what it comes through. You, you are the branches. You're attached to the vine, to the trunk. But you're the branches that go out and spread out. Now, what do they do in New York with all these branches that go out? Well, they build trellises, these wire kind of fence-looking things, and the vines go out and it holds the vines up. Because vines, grapevines, as you probably know, are rather, well, they just go everywhere. And so they need support. Grapevines grow in sections. If you've ever raised grapes, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They grow in sections. So they'll grow out 10 feet or so, and there'll be, there'll be a, a joint there, a knob there. And then they'll grow out, and there'll be another knob. And so there are leaves wherever there's a joint. And wherever there's a joint, hopefully, there will be flowers in May. Not the kind of flowers you buy at the florist. In fact, they don't really look a whole lot like flowers, but they're little flowers. And then in September, those flowers, as they've grown all summer, they have become the wonderful clusters of grapes which are harvested. And they just grow at the joints. Now, if a joint hits the ground, instead of growing grapes, it will grow roots. And the roots will go down into the ground, and the roots... Well, that part of the vine will try to take care of itself and not depend on the vine, the trunk. So it will root itself into the earth and try to get its nourishment there, and it will not produce any fruit at that point. Now, people in Europe, as they read these scriptures, it, it comes along and says, any branch that is not... Bearing fruit, my father will lift up. So Europeans thinking of grapes growing on fences said, they must mean he's going to prune them. So he's going to cut them off. But what the Palestinians would do back in Jesus' day, because they didn't have wire and trellises and fences and such, what they did was they allowed the vines to grow out kind of like a spider web, just in all directions. And what held them up off of the earth so that they would not root, so that they would still produce fruit? Stones. So if they're going, the, the farmer's going out there, oh, 
It's taken root. He would get hold of the vine. He would pull it up carefully so it did not break, pulling the roots up out of the earth where they're trying to do their own thing instead of produce fruit. He's not trying to produce grapevines, you know. He wants fruit. So he pulls it up. He lifts it up and puts a stone there are plenty of them there, puts a stone under that part of the grapevine to hold it up off of the ground so that it will, instead of trying to take care of itself and get its own nourishment, will rely on the trunk and it will also be able then to produce fruit. So that's the picture Jesus is using here. He says, Rely on me. Abide in me. Remain in me. Don't go over here and say, Oh, I think I'll get my life out of this or get my life out of that. I'm going to sink my roots in here. He said, Forget about roots. I've got the roots. I'm the branch. You just be connected to me. You rely on me. I'll provide for you everything. That is needed. I am this great trunk. I've got lots of nourishment, lots of moisture. I, I am more than an adequate supply of life for you. He says, now what's going to happen if some vine, let's just suppose, imagine, a vine would say, I don't want to be attached to that. Uh, or a branch says, I don't want to be attached to that trunk anymore. So I'm just going to let go. What would happen? Well, the same thing happens to grapevines that that are no longer attached to the trunk. That happened to tree branches that are no longer attached to the trunk. The leaves wilt. The leaves shrivel. The life goes out. And there it is, a dry, dead stick not good for anything except to be picked up and carted off and burned with the rest of the refuse. Jesus said, I am the source of life. Remember what John had said already? He said, he's the creator. He said, he was in the beginning. He was God. All things were made by him. That's how he starts this whole book. And Jesus says, I am the source of life. So, like a branch on a grapevine, remain in me. I'm the source for you. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You will find death, dryness. You, your life will shrivel up. And you will die. And you, your life will not be productive at all. If you don't stay attached to me, the trunk here, ready to provide life and nourishment to you. And so that's the picture that he's presenting to these disciples as he's talking about the grapevine. Branches are supposed to be dependent, attached, remain, abide in the vine, in the trunk. And when they do, he says, they'll produce fruit. 
He says, that's what brings the Father glory. What he wants is for you to produce fruit in your life. So last night we were talking about this. I hadn't planned to talk about fruit very much. And the guy says, well, what kind of fruits are it talking about? So maybe you wonder. I thought, well, that's an important question. Maybe we need to talk about that after all. And so what kind of fruit does he want? He wants fruit of a transformed life. That's part of it. For you see, the kingdom of heaven has come in Jesus Christ. Things are not the way they were before his death and resurrection. And he wants that kingdom life to transform who you are. He doesn't want you to live the way you always lived. And he's not talking about rules now. He's not saying, okay, I want you to be nice now. You were naughty before, now I want you to be nice. That's not what he's talking about. It's way bigger than just keeping a few rules. It's a transformed kind of life, a transformed existence, a new kind of freedom, a a new kind of power being filled with the life of God. You're attached to the vine. The life of God comes into the branch. It's a whole different kind of existence he's talking about. So it transforms us. That's part of it. But it's also, he's going to talk here in, in, in this chapter, when we get down a little further, he's going to talk about, he wants us to help other people find that same kind of life. There are all kinds of people, he says, living in the darkness, separated from me. They have no idea what it means to live in the kingdom of God, to have the life of God in their lives, his power, his presence. And he said, you've been transformed by that. You know what it's like. In a second, he's going to say, it has filled you with joy. They don't have it. So he says, I want you as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So that you can help bring this life, this joy to them. You've been reconciled to God. They haven't. Because they don't know the truth about God. So I want you to be involved in that process, bringing my message to them. Well, let's keep on reading. We're going to start at verse 9 now. And he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, Remain, there's that word again, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other. As I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. 
If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Well, we're going to stop right there for just a moment. Do you see those words? Go back. See, it's easy to forget what we've already read. Go back to where we just started reading in chapter 9, or in verse 9. And he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And he goes on to talk about his love. Here is what is so important for every one of us. We must see the love of God. The way so many people look at God, they, they think of Him as judge, as, as almighty. Some people think of Him as angry because they know very well how they have lived. And if somebody rebelled against them the way they rebelled against God, they'd say, well, I'd be pretty angry. So they think of God as angry. But the truth is, God loves us. Oh, he knows very well what you have done and how you have rebelled. But instead of anger, Jesus says right here that he loves us. He wants us to be reconciled to him. He wants us to trust him, to receive forgiveness, for that's what the Father wants to give. You don't always want to give forgiveness, but you're not like the Father if that's the case, because the Father God always is just waiting for you to be reconciled to him so he can forgive and free you from guilt and free you from shame. He loves you. He delights in you. No, he doesn't delight in everything you've ever done. Those of you who are parents, do you delight in everything your children have ever done? Probably not. But it doesn't mean you don't delight in your children. And your Heavenly Father, oh, he's very well aware of the times where you have made mistakes, at the times where you've done the embarrassing thing, at the time where you very intentionally did the evil, selfish thing. He knows. He doesn't delight in all that, but he delights in you. And he wants you to be restored 
to him. And to, because he just, he says, I'm ready to forgive. I'm ready to forgive completely. You just need to come and be attached to the vine. You need to be willing to receive your life from the vine instead of going out here somewhere and trying to put down your own roots and do it on your own. If you do that, you're just going to wither up and die. So Jesus starts here with love, and he says, now, the way to remain in me. He said, remain in me, so how do we do it? He says, the way to remain in me is to keep my commandments. Oh, there it is. You knew there were a lot of rules after all, didn't you? Somewhere. No. He tells us, and so, I want you to know what my commandment is, he says. Love each other. There's not a list of 250 things. There is one. Love each other as i have loved you no self-interest just giving of oneself for the other's benefit he says love that's what i want you to do that's what my life is all about if you're attached to the trunk what's going to come up out of the trunk and into you the branch that life that's going to come up is the love of God. And so he says, that's what I want for you. Everybody's not going to understand you. There are going to be people who just really don't like you. He said, some are even going to persecute you. Why? Because they are clueless about the love of God. They have no idea what it means to receive the life of God in themselves, to live in the kingdom of God already on this planet. They have no idea what it's like to be reconciled to God and to have the joy of God in you. They sure don't have it because they're separated from the trunk. And he said, so of course they're not going to, some folks aren't going to like you. But it's okay, because the Father loves you. And you can trust him, and he will fill you with his joy. Well, let's read the last couple of verses of this chapter. And he says, when the counselor, remember who the counselor is, the counselor, the comforter, the advocate, the spirit that Jesus is sending, the spirit of God. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. You must testify, because that's what the Spirit within you does. And when the Spirit of God has filled your life, when you are abiding, remaining in Him, trusting in Him, living the life of God within you that He has placed there because you've been reconciled to Him, then whatever the Spirit desires, you just go along with it. Why? Well, what is better 
than the Spirit of God? What is better than the love of God? What is better than the peace of God? What is better than the joy of God? So you have learned, I just trust in the vine. He's the provider. Everything I need, he just keeps on giving. I don't have to worry about this or that or be anxious or try to control everything. Because he's my source. So I just abide in him. And whatever he wants, I just cooperate with that. And what does he want? He wants the world to be reconciled to him. So he testifies about the Son of God who has reconciled us to the Father. And so if he is in us, he says, so you will testify too. He said, it's not about, okay, now I've got to, it says, I've got to go and testify about Jesus. So, let's see, I'll make a plan. I'm going to go out. I'm going to start walking up to people at the mall and start testifying to them, just start preaching to them about Jesus. Well, now, maybe the Spirit's going to ask you to do that, but he doesn't ask very many people to do that. He doesn't say, now you've got to go to a class and you've got to get it all figured out and you've got to be a theologian and have all the answers. He says, you just abide in me. You abide in me. And you just let the life I fill you with just come out. Now, it's going to come out of your mouth sometimes. So you're going to be a witness sometimes with your words. It's going to come out in your actions. You're not going to act like the rest of the folks at work who are all climbing up the, the, the ladder of success, sometimes stepping on one another's heads, sometimes being petty and mean and nasty. You're not going to be like that because your roots aren't into career success. Your roots You're connected to the vine, and your life comes from there. And it fills you with joy and with love. And so Jesus told his disciples, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I was reading this week, and I I wanted to share with you this picture that... uh, that someone has written, we are not unified, whole persons. Our hearts are divided. It's like we have a boardroom in every heart with a committee sitting around the table in our hearts. There's the social self, the private self, the work self, the sexual self, the religious self, and others. The committee argues, debates, and votes constantly agitated and upset. Rarely can they come to a unanimous decision. We tell ourselves we're just too busy, but the truth is that we're just divided, unfocused, and unfree. Now, we can accept Jesus in two ways. One way is to invite him onto the committee, but then... He becomes just one more complication, another vote. But the other way is to say to him, my life isn't working this way. Please come in and fire my committee. 
I hand myself over to you. You run my whole life. Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me, trust me. I am the source of life. I am the source of joy. The life of God is here for you. You don't have to be out there trying to handle it all on your own. Trust Him. Let His life flow into you. Let's pray together. Are you trusting Him? However the Spirit of God has spoken to you this morning, you just respond to Him right now as we pray. Our Father, You are so good. You are the abundant source of true life, of joy. You have loved us so much that you became a human being here so we could see you and hear you and touch you. And you have showed us your love by being our covenant sacrifice on the cross. And being raised from the dead. And giving to all humanity who will trust in you eternal life. The life of heaven. The life of your kingdom. Not just something that's a long way off when we die. But something that is in us. Filling us right this moment. So I pray, Father, that you would help us, everyone, to trust. To be willing to be fully reconciled. To quit putting roots down here and there and all over the place. But instead to receive our life from you and you alone. Fill us with your spirit, we pray, as we trust in you. And we pray, Father, that as we receive these gifts that you have given to us, that as we eat and as we drink, that very action will remind us that you truly desire to fill our lives with yourself. So may we experience that. May we know that. May we know your love, and may we trust you. We ask that you would send your spirit upon these gifts and make them to become for us the sacrament of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who on the night he was betrayed took bread and said, This is my body which is given for you. And after supper, he took the cup and said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. And we remember that he gave his life on the cross. We remember that you raised him from the dead. And we know that one day he will come as the king of glory. And we worship him. So fill us, Father.
for we abide in the vine. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.